And welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast, along with my partners, Brian Siegler, Shelton Moss, Jonathan Talley. I am Curtis Wilson, and this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast is brought to you by Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts at Main Street Pharmacy. If you love this podcast, if you love the Hokies, the town of Blacksburg, make sure you are supporting Main Street Pharmacy when you make your way to town. Whether you need prescriptions, a tube of toothpaste, or just want to stop in and say hello, let Jeremy and his team take care of you. The money you spend at Main Street Pharmacy goes towards the things you support. So next time you're in Blacksburg, head on down to 301 South Main Street. Buddy, we got a full house tonight. How you feeling? Man, just take a good look at the screen right now. Because so ever so few is going to wreak so much havoc on Hokie Nation going forward. <laughs> Tally, our full-time third co-host. Shelton, our full-time data analytics, sports analytics expert, part-time co-host. The four of us now ride here at the Boundary Corner Podcast. Well, there Woo! we go. Woo! That's what Riding we are, now, baby. But we got a boat ton to unload tonight. It's great having all y'all here. Everybody joining us, watching wherever you're joining us. Oh, look at this. I love it. I love it. Already some people chiming in. Get in here. Tell your brothers, your sisters, your mama, your pastor. Everybody get in here. The white Vic, shout out. He in here. The white's with us tonight. And we are going to go through a bunch of stuff. Obviously, we got a ton of football stuff. Done. We got a Fontel Mines interview later on tonight. But we're going to start with basketball um, for a couple reasons. A, the Hokies have one game left. The ACC tournament is next week. The women start play tomorrow in the ACC tournament. So, Sheldon, welcome back. How's the road been, brother? It's been okay. You know, it's been kind of an uh, up and down basketball season. I know the men beat Louisville couple of nights ago they had me worried there for a sec they were down up by like three with like 10 minutes left and then went on like a 14 nothing run to to get the dub but yeah it's just been a, it's been a tough season man but we'll see what can happen i mean it's march so anything can happen in the uh in the ac tournament anything can happen and before we get into sort of we're kind of going to deep dive the season tonight shelton's been pulling data points and we've got some questions we want to ask him and kind of figure out why is this team where they are because as we sat here just before we got on, Tally was mentioning how he it's like what the football teams, your your, your daughter, you'll never spank her, but the basketball yeah. team's like your son, and you'll yeah. you'll take the behind the woodshed. Beat his ass. So, so we're trying to figure out why. But before we get into all of that, I want to talk about actually some really good news. And Sheldon, I'll let you go a little bit more on this, but got a pretty big prospect commitment um just the other day. AJ Swinton. Small Ford 6'5", 185, from Sierra Canyon High School. Beast. For those who do not know, that is where Bronny James plays. Mm -hmm. That is a really good basketball high school. Mm -hmm. um, Three-star by 247, a composite four-star right at the top 100 in the composite. Shelton, you've had a chance to kind of look at this guy. Um, I mean, what does he bring for the Hokies in the future? Yeah, very talented kid, uh, athletic. Like you said, he is a uh, three-star, four-star, depending on, you know, kind of what metric you look at. I mean, I think once you get outside, like, the top 80, top 90, it's kind of, you know, there's no real difference. Um, but he is a very projectable at the college level. Um, you know, six foot six or thereabouts. He's listed as a small forward. Um, I think he can fill sort of like a Justin Mutz type of role. 
um, you know, but he's got some, um, some Darius Maxim and that he's, you know, long and obviously athletic. Um, I, uh, I was looking at a quote um, as far as, you know, how he committed, obviously he used to play at the Matha, which was where Mike Jones was formerly the head coach. Um, so that was kind of the connection there. Now an assistant Mike Jones is on the team. And uh, there's a quote from uh, AJ where he said, you know, talking about Mike Jones offense, he said, it's a free flowing offense. They share the ball and you can tell that they're well coached in the sets they run in the half court. Um, so I think that kind of gives you a sense of like, you know, this is a guy that's going to come and he's not just like some freak athlete that's you know, going to dominate. Like he's going to play within the offense, um, you know, very high IQ player. So I'm happy to see that. I think despite his high ranking, he is more of like a developmental guy. Um, you know, maybe you, you red him for one year and then kind of get him acclimated after that. Um, so there's probably gonna be some sort of, you know, developmental, uh, development there. Um, he's not a guy that's going to come in, I don't think, and just, you know, star right away, not like a Rodney Rice type of type of recruit. Um, but he is very, very good. And I think, uh, the future of, uh, Virginia Tech basketball, especially at the guard position is looking very good for the next couple of years. Yeah, I love hearing that. And uh, when we look at a guy like him, you know, I don't think really has has Mike Young really had a player with this type of length that also has this this level of athleticism since he's been at Virginia Tech. I mean, not re- well, maybe Joe Bamisil, but I think the the difference was, you know, Bamisil was not a great shooter. He's more of a slasher, um, and obviously, you know, he wasn't getting the playing time he wanted, so he transferred out. Um, you had, you know, Darius Maddox who. I think uh, Swin is a little bit longer and, you know, obviously we don't know, you know, what he's going to provide so far yet, but I would imagine he's a little bit more athletic and physical than Maddox, just what, you know, what it seemed like on watching tape. Um, and then Rodney Rice is probably the best comp just, you know, in terms of like his physical, his physical skill sets, the length particular um, guy that can kind of clog up passing lanes and stuff like that. So, I mean, Rice is probably, like I said, the best comp, but it's a very much like a, you know, we're not used to getting these types of recruits typically under the, uh, the Mike Young era. Now, I'm going to go off script a little bit here now, Shelton. Glad you're here. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. I get on Facebook the other day, and I don't even know if this person was a Virginia Tech fan. I see in a big banner, Bronny James is looking at Virginia Tech. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that, sir? I don't know, man. I don't know. I just uh, – I'm hearing some rumors that uh, his uh, teammate, A.J. Swin, he wants to play with his teammate, A.J. Swin, over at Sierra Canyon. Okay. Um, I cannot confirm or deny those rumors. Uh, all I can say is, you know, check your sources. Uh, make sure you look at the reputable, <laughs> reputable organizations. You is our damn source. <laughs> Sheldon's well, not sharing that. Yeah, I just say always, you know, look for the blue check. The blue check on Twitter, or the, or the or the or the, or the orange check, or the square. I don't know what it is. Whatever you, whatever. Check, check your legacy check marks before you start hey, writing, writing, going, writing the article. I, I'm about to go on Twitter and say, from my source, I heard Bronny is coming. Oh god, <laughs> whatever y'all want to put down, that's what I'm putting. All right. So obviously, Tally gonna be getting us in trouble real quick. Cheesy peasy. I like um, that. Huh? Spicy. Spicy. <laughs> well, I heard LeBron James has eligibility. He's going to come play with Bronny at Tech. I mean, you know, let's just throw everything. He's got out. four years. Well, shit. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's go this way. Uh, we got some now questions. Let's get into this season and let's talk about some things about why have we been 17 and 13? And especially why has it been, you know, since an 11 and one start, is the team now, you know, Six and twelve in the last eighteen, Brian. I know you. You got one right out the gate. You want to uh, hit Sheldon with? 
Yeah, this one kind of has been rolling around for a while. I know we got the the dub on the road against Louisville, but this team has struggled mightily in ACC play in in the in the road contest. Um, when you looked at the data, Sean, uh, do you see any metrics metrics that have any sort of statistical significance um, in terms of variation from home games versus away games? I don't think there's a huge variation. Um, I was looking at some numbers before the podcast, and I found that uh, Virginia Tech was about middle of the pack in the ACC in terms of uh, net increase in efficiency at home compared to on the road, meaning, you know, they're not that much more efficient uh, at home. So I think, you know, some of the road struggles might be a little bit overblown just in the sense that, like, you know, they're, they're, they're in every game. They're just losing the close games. They're not finishing, finishing it out. We have Boston College. They went to overtime. Uh, Clemson lost in the last second three. So I think there's been some bad luck involved, honestly. But I guess the thing that stands out the most is probably just the shooting splits. Like Tech has been a pretty bad shooting team on the road. We saw it against Clemson, which was probably their best defensive performance of the season. But it, co- it coincided with their worst offensive performance of the year. Syracuse, I think they shot three of 19 from three. Uh, and one of those was in garbage time. Um, so, you know, when you're on the road, a shooting team like Tech that's, you know, kind of built around three-point shooting, Sometimes you you get into a different environment and you're just not as comfortable as a shooter in in, in different gyms. So that's probably my best guess. You know, but outside of that, I just think it's an inability to close games down the stretch. Really, is what it boils down to. Well, also talk about. Um, I mean, just kind of staying on what you're doing. I know you've done a lot of research, and that's kind of your thing. I guess the what about the like the point of interest? emphasis when we're talking you know layups and offensive rebounds, oh, God, layups, you know things like that. I mean, I think. If we deep dive into that, that tells a little bit of a story as well. Yeah. Please, please make me feel like my eyes haven't fooled me all year, Sheldon, on that. Because I swear, every time I see this team, we are missing literally point blank shots, whether defended or not defended. So what's the data say? So the data says your eyes, unfortunately, might be fooling you a little bit. Um, we, uh, <laughs> I was like, so we're, I think we rank like six in the SEC in terms of uh, layup percentage. Like, you know, it's around like 60% converting layups, which, uh, you know, it's, it, I mean, that's kind of middle of the road. I think we've had a few games, like I said, this year where it's just gone completely off the rails. Like, you know, Georgia Tech, you just can't make anything. So it, that probably like kind of exacerbates like your perception of, of how good we are in that, in that category. And I don't have the data for this, but maybe if you look at like conference splits, it's different. Uh, then, you know, the entire season when Tech was obviously playing well during the non-conference portion of the season. Um, so I, I honestly like my I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but my biggest concern is just a lack of, you know, getting to the free throw line. Like Tech is, you know, traditionally under Mike Young, one of the worst teams in terms of drawing free throws. And you can see that this year they were like three bottom 40, I think, in free in throw rate. Country? In the country? Yeah, in the country, yes. Oh, God. So, but that's, you know, that's kind of part of the course of my guy. We just don't, we just don't really attack the basket a lot. And so you're just, it's, it's hard to, you know, draw fouls and obviously get yourself in, you know, scoring situations like that, uh, get the other team in foul trouble. That, that That's my biggest concern. Like, I think the layups kind of, you know, they come and go, but um, the lack of, the lack of getting to the line is a big issue for me. Well, yeah. Is, that, is that kind of par for the course with the, with the motion offense versus more dribble drive type, type offense? Basically, yeah. So Mike Young doesn't really recruit slashers. You know, he wants guys that can shoot, that, you know, can can dribble, that can handle the ball. He's he's always emphasized skill over athleticism uh, traditionally in recruiting. Um, not always, but that's usually the case. So obviously with a motion-based offense, you know, you're moving the ball, you're passing around, you want to get three-pointers and, and post-ups. Those are typically the two shots that, you know, you can, that, that, that this offense kind of revolves around. It's not like where, you know, you just give a guy the ball 
and he's going to go create off the dribble. You know, that happens a little bit, you know, with Tyrese Radford, a guy like that. But for the most part, you know, he wants to, he wants to move the ball, wants to pass the ball. So you're just not going to see a lot of um, dribble penetration. Well, so I mean, in terms I'm, of those layup percentages, we're, we're looking at probably an outlier bias on, on those like handful of games where it just looks pretty, pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm looking here. I just pulled up the Miami, you know, box score and absolutely right. Sheldon, I mean, they shot the free throw. They shot 19 free throws that game where Tech's only shooting seven. They go 15 of 19. Tech goes four or six from the line. That's a six-point game. So, to your point right there, I mean, that is a massive difference. And you know, we can look at the stats and say right there, well, you lost by six. You shoot through more free throws, closer game, maybe a win. Let me ask this, though, because something I did a little research on. Yes, I did do research in basketball. <clears throat> yeah feel good about myself, is I decided to go through to find rebound margins. And basically, Tech ranked 194 in the country, basically zero, basically 50-50. That's pitiful. It's pitiful, but it's not par for the course. But then I look at a game like the Miami game, another great example. Miami only out-rebounded us by one. But the significant, it looks like, how big was our differential in offensive rebounding for this year? For uh, offensive rebounding, I don't. I think we are usually middle of the pack. I can uh, pull up the numbers real quick. So we are, yeah, about a little bit below average, ninth in ACC in terms of offensive rebounding. Okay. So you know, not not great, like you said. Yeah, and then one ninety four, slightly under, roughly middle of the country. But if you're saying ninth, I can only imagine where that is in the you know aspects of the country. And again, it was some games. And again my eyes aren't fooling me because you're giving me the data backing it up. There were some games. It looks like they just didn't want to get in after rebounds. Mm -hmm. It was just like, I understand a long rebound is what it is. Everybody here has played some sort of basketball or played pickup games where somebody shoots a shot. It's a long rebound. Ain't nothing you can do about that. But it's when you're seeing the ball right there and people not crashing. And that's where it's like, come on guys. And I know, you know, what do you attest that to? Is it just the coaching style? Is it just just the bodies we have? I would say it's probably influenced a little bit of both. Um, when it comes to those sorts of splits, like, you know, turnovers, free throws, rebounds, a lot of it is based on the scheme and the style. Um, you know, it's no different than football. Like, are you a big play offense? You know, if you're if you're a quarterback who plays in a big play offense, you're probably going to have a low completion percentage. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad quarterback. It just means that you're going to go for, like, the all or nothing types of throws. So with rebounding, it's probably just, you know, a strategy. I don't know what Mike Young's strategy is on rebounding, but my guess is he probably doesn't want guys crashing the boards too hard. Um, you know, just as one example, if you guys, I don't know if you guys watch NBA, but um, the uh, rates of offensive rebounding in the NBA are actually at, at historical lows. And the reason for that is because a lot of teams just want to get back in uh, on defense. They don't want to give up transition opportunities because what happens is if you crash the glass and you don't get the rebound, that allows the uh, the offense to get out in transition and potentially score on the other on the other side. So that's kind of where the strategy part plays into it. Um, and uh, I, mean, I mean, yeah, it's just kind of you know his uh, the the way that you know a coach likes to play. Um, so yeah. So pretty much like <clears throat> I'm a Laker fan, so I guess watching watching the Lakers and watching AD, he's he's up around the three point line a lot. You know, with him being a seven footer. He's up around the three-point line a lot more than I want him to be. And I think that kind of goes the same way with the Hokies, somebody like Grant Bazzilli, you know, because he shoots the ball so well. He's up around that three-point line a lot, either looking for a shot or, 
you know, setting a pick for somebody else to get a shot. So I think similar to what you're saying now, Sheldon, is that, you know, when he's there, I mean, you got to get back because you're, you're pretty much playing safety to get back uh, if they get that rebound because they're going to get out in transition. So when you have your big man that stretch the floor like that, you don't have your big man rebounding. Is that is that kind of what you what you see? Yes, that's a great point and one that I didn't even think of. But yes, if you have a you know tech plays small anyway. Like you got Mutsu six foot seven at the four, Basili six foot eight at the five, but he's really more of like a stretch four. Um, if Basili's at the three point line, well, he's not getting re- offensive rebounds. So I mean, he shoots a lot of threes. He's one of the best uh, three point shooting big men in the country for his for his size. Mm-hmm. If you look, you got guys who are six foot eight. There are not a lot of uh, six foot eight guys who shoot threes like Basili. So, I mean, of course, the more he's shooting threes, the, the less rebounds he's getting. And that's, again, that's just a stylistic preference. Very nice. So I think the next thing I, 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 I did put this in and I'm, and I'm hoping you had a chance to look it up was give me the best plus minus guys. Give me the top three, give me the bottom three as far as that goes with the team, because that's a stat. I always, it's tough for me to find. I don't have all the data, but I know, Plus minus is always telling because, okay, if a guy's a plus, it's like you can put him on the floor anytime, any situation, it's going to come out a net positive. But guys in that is, you know, negative, well, what's wrong? Can we not score or is he not good defensively? So who's, who's our, who's our guys there? Not targeting anybody, but just kind of painting that picture. Uh, well, I'd say definitely Basile is the best um, just because of his ability to score from multiple levels and, you know, defensively as well. He's going to get, you know, a lot of rebounds um, and like all those box score stats that kind of juice his, you know, advanced metrics and stuff like that. Um, Muzz is up there, too. Obviously, Couture. I think Couture is a little bit different because he like he is, he's he's efficient, but he also does so many things that don't jump in a box score. So, you know, his his, uh, his value is not necessarily always reflected in in uh, statistical metrics. Um and there's, I think Padula, kind of middle of the pack, like he scores a lot, but he's not very efficient, kind of a high-volume three-point shooter, has not shot the ball well from three this year. I think he's played a little bit too much hero ball, uh, not, you know, shot selection is a little bit hit or miss. And then if you look at the bottom, you know, I think MJ Collins has struggled, you know, freshman, freshman kind of hit a wall sometimes. Um, his three-point shot hasn't really been there. You know, offensively, he's not a guy that the defense is really going to key in on. Um, so, you know, he's one guy that I think, uh, obviously, you know, you can understand like there's going to be some growing pains as a freshman you come in and, and he was always going to be like, um, more of a developmental guy. Cause you expected rice to be there, you know, filling in at the, at the backup point guard spot. Um, and, and you know, figure Maddox as well, if he hadn't uh, had that family situation with rice and Maddox in there as guards, Collins would not be getting the minutes that he's getting and same for, yeah. for Camden as well. Um, so it's just kind of a situation where the lack of guard depth has forced uh, younger guys that are not ready for the minutes, like Rice, uh, excuse me, Collins and Camden, to step up into roles that they should not be playing in. So, yeah, let me ask this. So, our official luck ranking, um, what is that right now? It is at, I believe, three fortieth. I'll double check to confirm. Okay. Um, it so is... everyone knows there's 358 teams in the NCAA Division One. Three Actually, they, 358? 358. They added five more. They added five more this year. So we're up to 363. It keeps going up. Keeps going okay. okay. And we officially so, uh, rank? Uh, 340. So like bottom 20, essentially. All right. Can you talk a little bit more about how that's how they derive that and, and how that's affected the Hokies? Yeah, so it's kind of a, um, a tricky subject. I think there's a lot of um, – I guess maybe you might say, uh, 
you know, frustration uh, between like the, the sort of like analytics crowd versus, you know, the, the eye test crowd. Um, with a metric like luck, it's basically just, you know, um, how many, what percent of your close games are you winning uh, relative to, you know, all the other games. So if you have a really bad record in close games, your luck metric is going to be bad. If you're very good in close games, uh, generally speaking, your luck is going to be very good. Tech has been very unfortunate this year. They are one in five in conference games decided by five points or less. Uh, whereas you look at a team like Pitt, they are second place in the ACC, I think, and they are six and yep. one in games decided by five points or less. So you just look at that differential right there. I mean, that's I mean, that's the difference of the standings. Like that's that's all there is to it. it. Is. Um, well, let me just let me just tell you something, Shelton. Virginia okay. Tech has a bad luck ranking in all sports for a whole <laughs> lot of years. If you go back and look at some football games, our luck rating is at the bottom too. But go continue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could. Yeah, we could go on a whole tangent about that. Um, but I think uh, you know, typically with with stats like this, you have to kind of get like a large sample size, like look over multiple years of data. Um, Tech was pretty unfortunate with luck last season until the ACC tournament, where just you know, kind of that that stretched in late February, early March, where kind of turned it all around. You know, this year's team has not seen such a turnaround, and I think that could partly be due to personnel, partly due to coaching, and obviously some luck involved as well. So you know, with with a stat like that, I mean, Kim Palm, who who created the stat, has said like it's not a perfect stat. You know, there's no such no. thing as a perfect stat. Um, there's there's always going to be some sort of balance of you know personnel coaching decisions and all that, uh, you know, who you're playing matchups, all that stuff. So it kind of plays into it. Um, I would hope that it would uh, improve next year. If it does not, if we're, if we're three forty next year, then I would have some, some serious reservations. Then it's more reservations about the coaching staff. It's like, it can't continuously be bad luck without something being on the coaching staff mm -hmm. there. And by the way, Sheldon, it's not 20%. We're in the bottom 8% of luck. We're literally, yeah, I, I did the math on that. I mean, it's it's just brutal to see, but like you say, you know, where does it come? Where does it get to a point where it's not luck, and it's exactly you are who you are. You can't yeah. close close games out. You struggle in those situations, and 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 that's what we've seen so much this year. And I think it's so much. It's not. It's not so much. You know, we we lose a close game to Miami. Pally said it on here ten days ago. Miami's a good team. You lost to them by six. Okay, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. It's the Georgia Techs. It's the Boston Colleges. It's struggling with the Notre Dame, who well, is think, the worst. I mean, I think Shelton brought up a good point when he said he talked about last year's team, and it kind of takes us to our next point as well. He talked about you know we had some contributors last year that stepped up in crunch time and pretty much you know won us the ACC championship. So. Uh, another point that we'll ask you, Sheldon, what do you, who do you think we, you know, we missed the most off of a team like last year's team? You know, you had a Storm Murphy there, you had Kevin Luma, um, Aline, who do you, who do you think we missed the most? Yeah, so that's actually good, a good setup for the next set I had. So I think one of the most underrated stats from last year's team, uh, during the stretch run where Tech started to win, I think they finished uh, 13 and three, something like that in their last, you know, 16, whatever it was. During that stretch, uh, Storm Murphy averaged 20 minutes per game. Uh, so if you, if you have a point guard averaging 20 minutes per game, you know, that does a huge, that, that's, that's huge for him in terms of just, you know, his ability to, to, you know, stay, stay fresh, not be fatigued. You had Sean Padula come off the bench. I mean, there were multiple games last year where Sean Padula played more minutes than Storm, Storm Murphy. So that kind of one-two punch at point guard really helped them a lot in terms of just, you know, preserving, preserving their legs. Whereas you look at this year's team, I mean, Padula's playing literally the entire game and Rice, yeah. you know, he's only going to give you a few minutes there. 
Um, he's pretty much, Padula is pretty much the only, you know, polished point guard you have. Um, so I think if I were to answer your question, I actually think Naheem Aline was an underrated miss. And I say that like, I owe him a, an apology because I was kind of overlooking how, you know, how much we'd miss him. I obviously didn't anticipate, you know, losing Rodney Rice and Darius Max for the majority of the season, but Aline is a guy that's, you know, he's a good defender. Um, he, he can shoot the three. Well, uh, not as, uh, better than a lot of people gave him credit for. Um, you know, he can, he can score a little bit. He can drive a little bit. Um, he was a guy that just based on our injuries, like, I mean, we, we'd love to have a guy like that. And then obviously Storm Murphy, I think it's just his, not that he's, you know, has a higher ceiling than Padula, but just the fact that he played Mike and system for multiple years, the fact that he was experienced a fifth year senior and kind of just, you know, the, the leadership aspect I think was also, was also missing from this year's team. Yeah, looking at Alina, it feels like this team is missing that kind of three and D type player yep. on the wing. So I could definitely see we're having him on board, especially uh, you know when you look at Maddox being out for an extended period of time. You, you can see there's a big hole there. Um, so I can definitely see where that would be big. Let's let's pivot a little bit because um, we we got we got one game to go in the regular season. Then we're, then we get into the ACC tournament. Um, I don't think anyone's foreseeing a a big run like we saw last year out of this team. But, you know, what do you think this team could do in the ACC tournament? It's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough because you're most likely going to be an 11 seed. Um, you'd be matched up against the 14, which would be Notre Dame right now in the first round matchup, which, you know, I think Tech matched up very well against Notre Dame and the Irish have been pretty bad this season. That's fine. The problem is if you want to make a deep run, you got to win five games in five nights. And that's just, I, I cannot see that happening at all. So, I mean, maybe they, I mean, maybe they shocked me at 2011 UConn did it, but they had Kimba Walker in their team. So yeah. I don't know if it's the, yeah. uh, the best comparison there. Um, yeah. It's just, I, the thing is I, if you're, if you're a glass half full type of person, there's really no one in this league that scares me just from, you know, what we've seen from tech, like they can be anyone, they can lose to anyone. Like, I don't, I don't look at any team. And it's like, Oh my God. Like if we, if we play them, we're screwed. Like, no, this is not, it's, it's not, it's not a great league. I think you can beat any team on any given night. So from that perspective, I guess, if you're an optimist, you'd say, yeah, tech could make a deep run, but so could, so could all the other 14 teams. Uh, that's true. And right now the, the game with Florida state on Saturday afternoon does hold between the 11 and the 12 seed. And I think the 12 seed is going to play Georgia tech. who We've already lost to once. Um, but who do we play out of if if Tech were to win next Tuesday? And that's one reason we're not recording next Tuesday, folks, is because when I looked at the schedule, it was like, well, you bring Sheldon and we talk about this. Wait a second. No, we don't get a bye this year because we can't be one of the best nine teams in the ACC. But where is it looking like, Shelton? Let's say we land the 11. We get and we play Notre Dame in the first. Who are we going to match up against going you know, forward? Where's, what's the path? Yeah, so you would match up against the sixth seed, which currently is, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, out of the NC State. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, you know, they lost uh, lost NC State without uh, Hunter Couture back in January at home by a few points. Um, yeah. Again, like I said, you can beat anyone on any given night. I, I just, you know, I this is a topic a topic for another day, but I just, I don't think the ACC is good at all this year. I no. really don't. I mean, you got you five teams. Five teams, maybe that'll make the tournament. UNC's not going to make it unless they beat Duke on Saturday. Um, yeah, it's just it's not a great conference. So from that perspective, you know, anything it's, can happen. It's 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 a, it's, a, it's this is a year of turnover in the ACC after what happened last year when people felt like a couple of teams got shafted, not getting put in the tournament, and then you look and there's two in the Final Four, four in the Sweet Sixteen, mm-hmm. and. 
And the bad part was what every the ace every ACCC team won the first round except Tech last year. They went seven yeah. and one in the first round or something like that, which was insane. Um, but you know, I think overall, as we kind of you know we're putting the bow on it, we're thirty minutes in now, about where I thought we'd be. But it it, it seems like it's not just one aspect. It's not getting to the free throw line enough. It's being slightly negative in offensive rebounds. It's missing players. It's, you know, to my chagrin, it's not layups. I was hoping you'd be like, we're dead last in layups. And I can be like, well, there's a reason. We don't make short shots. Yeah. But, it, it I mean, are y'all feeling that way, fellas? That it's not like one thing. It's just – it's all these little things that basically – it wasn't all five or six at every game. It was always three or four, and we lost that game. Brian? Yeah, I think some of it's, you know, Sheldon's spoken to it, but being stretched a little bit thinner than I think we anticipated, especially um, in the guard uh, field there. Um, I think we felt not good about the, uh, the that area of the team coming into the year in terms of depth. And then obviously that got significantly worse with the Rice injury. And then, you know, you, you had Maddox go down. So there, there's uh, there's just been some inconsistency with guys playing outside there. And, you know, we you, you combine that with – a little bit of inconsistency here and there, again, not getting to the free throw line, not being able to rebound as much as you'd like. And I think just the combination of those things is really kind of kind of put us behind the eight ball in some games, especially as we try to close some close ones out. Tally, as you yeah. shake your head. I want to remain uh, optimistic about the, about the basketball team, but one word, man, effort. Like when I watch some games, I don't, you know, I love Mike Young. I love what he what he's brought to the team. But I feel like effort's a coaching thing. And I just watch them play sometimes. When you talk about those long rebounds and we don't have anybody going for them or we don't have anybody, you know, getting on the floor or just, you know, fighting for that extra possession, it's an effort thing. You know, you got to have the, the coaching style has to has – to, demand that and I feel like that hadn't been there so again I like Mike Young so I'm gonna lay off of him tonight I'm gonna watch him I'm gonna let him finish this year Before he won I, the ACC last year he, he gets a three-year yeah, reprieve yeah, regardless I'm, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let him I'm gonna let him live tonight but uh I'm gonna be watching your ass close Mike he's watching it Sheldon I'm gonna let you close this segment out for you you've watched actually you've been to games you've watched a ton of games this year You've looked at the data. What are your one or two points to say? The reason this team isn't 24 and three, 24 and seven or 23 and, you know, 23 and eight, make it into the NCAA tournament with ease is because. Is because of, I think to set, to boil it down injuries and defense, man. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not big on making excuses, but you miss rice for a little bit. You miss couture for a little bit. You miss Max for a little bit. You know, those those misses add up. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's the, the sole reason, certainly not, that Tech is in the position they're in. I think their defense has absolutely fallen off a cliff over the past couple of months. They're 100 and what is it? 128th in uh, Kim Palm defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's only 70. There's only like 70 major conference teams like that's just not that's not good enough. So um, part of that could be, you know, shortage of depth. Maybe guys are getting tired. Um, Mike has never been a great, you know, defensive coach. So, you know, you give him a little bit of a free pass there, but. I just think it's a combination of, you know, defense being bad. Um, the three-point shooting wasn't there. I think Padula is still learning to ha- like how to be a, a more polished point guard. 
um, like I said, shot selection, I question sometimes leadership. I question sometimes I look at a guy like Padula. I just don't see that sort of like floor general leadership all the time. Kind of what Tally was saying. Um, and you know, Mike is very hands-off as a coach from my perception of him. Like he's not going to micromanage the offense, the offensive sets. He's just going to go out and let guys play and they got to, they got to make plays. And I just don't think we've had enough of that this season. So um, the good news is we're not far off. We've, we've lost a lot of close games this year. Um, we get healthy next year, get some recruits in, you know, we can be rolling. Um, but this, this, this has just been sort of like a Murphy's law type of year where everything kind of goes wrong. And the only player not coming back next year is Justin Mutz, correct? Correct. Assuming the only player who cannot come back. Cannot come back. Yes. yes. Cannot. Um, awesome. All right. Well, let's flip over and let's talk real quick about the women's hoop team who will play tomorrow. Um, evening down in Greensboro for the ACC Women's Tournament. And over the last couple weeks, you know, some really great moments. And, I mean, I I got to see the Kitley Dagger down at UNC where they had not played a good game. And she comes off that for some reason. And I'm still trying to figure this out, watching that defensive set. Kitley's one of the – probably the – obviously the best player in the ACC. We'll talk about it in a moment. One of the best players in the country. How do you come off of her – in that situation, it's just like because the girl, like she's looking at it and she looks left, and Kitley comes around, makes explain yeah. that it didn't make any sense. I mean, I wasn't in the huddle, man. Uh, it looked like they just it looked like they miscommunicated on some sort of switch. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't, you know, have all eyes locked on her. It's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they went to the player who was cutting to the to three top of the three point line. Yeah. Um, and kind of left her there open. I just uh, they forgot you know, about the best player in the ACC. <laughs> what, what, that's what happened when you have multiple multiple threats on the floor. Sure. I and mean, you got Georgia there. You got Kitley. I mean, they've got a good solid team. You know, they've got. She is the best player in the ACC. Of course, she won the won the award. But you got other all ACC players on that team as well. So, man, it fucks you up. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can't. You can't zone in on one person but it looked like a, a miscommunication like Shelton said I mean you kind of seen the players look at each other like what were you doing what were you doing so <laughs> yeah, yeah I think it was just a miscommunication on the switch that's the way it yeah and, like. K- and Kelly went out there and uh she she took over the all-time uh points record as well while in that game so that was a that was a big game all around um and then they turned around and, and closed it out in that trap game against Georgia Tech um uh, and and that took them to the best finish uh, for the Hokies women basketball history. That's that's a bunch of big moments kind of happened in the last week for that women's team. I think this team is really peaking at the right time. Um, you know, they had some, I wouldn't say struggles, but some ups and downs relative to their, their potential. I think we all knew what the potential of this team was coming to the season. Um, but they've really started clicking. You can tell Georgia Amor is playing a lot better. She's distributing a lot better. She's, you know, she, she had a stretch where she couldn't miss from three. Um, Kitley's, you know, obviously, done a great job. You've got, uh, you know, bench support from Deja Gregg, Taylor Guyman, who historically has been, you know, kind of like a, a, a sort of a back-end a, a guard who's doubled some injuries this year, but she's come off the bench and done done a pretty nice job in her role. So, I mean, everything's clicking. You got you got depth. You got the star down at the top. Uh, this team is really playing to their full potential. Yep. You, I mean, Tal, you already mentioned Georgia was first team, Kitley Player of the Year first team. And then take a look at the grad transfer with Taylor Sewell. If Shelton, you said it a few weeks ago, Tally, you said it last week, and it's clearly there. They got some really good players out of the portal that has really complemented the top two players. And, you know, 
right now, um, I, I, I looked this up today on ESPN. They are a number two projected seed. We got away from – I shared with you all the other day the South Carolina bracket, and we yes. have been moved to the Indiana bracket. Yep. You said it a few weeks ago, Sheldon. You thought this is an Elite 18. If we stay in the if we stay in the Indiana bracket, dare you say could they take the step and go? They definitely could. Now that being said, Indiana is very very good. Like they, they are. are. If you, I mean, if you look at some of like the you know the metrics, like they're absolutely a top three team in the country. I think Tech is more like you know top top eight, top nine somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, getting out of the South Carolina bracket, I will say is huge because they are by far like they are. They are better than Georgia. If you if you're not a huge women's basketball fan, like they are better than Georgia in football yes. this year. Like they are, yeah. I mean, yes. 27 and no, whatever. Like every game they win by 30 points, it's just it's ridiculous. So you want to, you definitely want to avoid them at all costs, as uh, not see them until as late as possible in the tournament. Yep. And for the ladies, again, it is they are going to be playing the winner of the Boston College Miami game. Um, that game, I believe, is actually might be wrapped up already, so we may know who the winner mm-hmm. is. Somebody can effort that while I'm efforting, efforting, efforting. Um, but either way, it's been a great season. Clearly, they will. I don't – I think even a screw-up tomorrow night, they're still going to be hosting a regional in Blacksburg. Um, we discussed it. Just, dear God, just don't let some seam shoots out of their minds from three-point range um, in that time frame. Because that's the only thing that stopped it last year. So, has that game ended? The Boston College-Miami game? Boston College-Miami. That's still going on about five minutes left. Yep. Miami's up 71-62. Okay, well. So, get some chalk. Yeah, it it looks like Miami should hold on. But So, again, that's going to be tomorrow night on the ACC Network, 8 o'clock. I'll definitely try to catch it. Yeah. You know, it's bedtime here. Tally knows. Tally texts me like, hey, can we jump <laughs> on real quick, dude? It's bedtime in this house for the kids. I'm, I'm in a war right now. So, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> looking <for> – <laughs> look at y'all chuckling. Brian, you know it. Brian, you've been there. Yeah, I just got the one, though. You got one. Man, three. <laughs> um, so, what we're going to do now, y'all, Chelton, appreciate all the insights, all the stuff. You're yep. not leaving because we want your opinions nope. on some of this football stuff we're going to be talking about here. We are going to get into the Fontail Minds interview after we take a quick pause from our digital partners. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, Sheldon had to step out for just a second. He'll be back in just a moment. But last Tuesday afternoon... Myself, Mr. Siegler, and Mr. Tally got to sit down. Got to sit down for about 30 minutes with Virginia Tech 
wide receiver coach Fontel Mines. It was awesome. He was awesome. He celebrated a birthday. Coach, happy birthday again this week. Brian, let's press the tape and uh, let's show the Boundary Corner listeners what Coach Mines had to say about some of the things we asked him. Pay attention. Boundary Corner podcast listeners, tonight we have a very special interview here with Jonathan Talley, here with Brian Siegler. Boys, we got in the green room right now Coach Fontel Mines. Let's go ahead. Let's get him in here because we've got some questions to ask this man. Fellas, what's happening, man? How's everybody doing? Hey, Coach, hey, how you doing tonight? I'm wonderful, man, wonderful, enjoying myself. We are doing great here, me and Brian in the RVA, Tally down in Alabama today, and man, we got some questions to ask you. Uh, how's everything doing? Y'all been good? Busy. Busy is good. <laughs> uh, we spent the weekend in Charlotte for a coach's clinic. Uh, I had the family come up with me, my wife and my son, and we enjoyed Charlotte for a couple of days, and... Uh, we'll be in Richmond this weekend. We'll be in Northern Virginia this weekend, talking some ball, man. Uh, you know, building those relationships, being around some high school coaches. So, you know, super excited, man. I love the all season. And then shoot, you know, spring ball is right around the corner. It is, man. Yeah. So you're heading to the stomping grounds this weekend, I'm right? Heading to the crib, baby. There That's we go. <laughs> there we go. All right, let's talk about this first. You've had a bunch of stops since you started your coaching career at your alma mater, Hermitage High School, and here in the RVA. You also happen to be a notable football alumnus of University of Virginia. What did you think when you got the call that the Hokies wanted you to come on board as wide receivers coach? Man, it was uh, just the way it all kind of happened, man, was kind of surreal, to be honest with you. Uh, I had some connections here on this staff with Coach Bowen. Um, just from working at Old Dominion. And um, I met Coach Pry on a Sunday uh, at the coaches' convention. No, I'm sorry, I met him on a Monday night at the coaches' convention. Uh, him and James Franklin were together, and uh, we got a chance to exchange conversation. And he asked me would I be interested in interviewing for the job that next day. Um, didn't have any of my material, didn't have a suit. Um, you know, it was, it was probably about eight, nine o'clock that night. And, you know, so me, I just kind of get my stuff together and start preparing myself. And it was, it was awesome though, man. Just really growing up in Richmond, the two flagship schools have always been right. Virginia, Virginia Tech. It was, it was either you went to Virginia or you went to Virginia Tech. So for me, um, it hit home because, you know, my best friend graduated from Virginia Tech, Dwayne Brown. And, we were recruited together. We grew up together. Uh, he was my wedding to one of my closest friends, and he was the first one I called. And I was really just curious in his reaction. And you talk about somebody excited, man. It was a, it was a great moment, and it was it was a little different. Um, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, it was a little different. But it's one of those things where professionally, uh, mm-hmm. it was a no brainer. Yeah, it, it's great to hear Dwayne because you had a lot of guys you played with you at Hermitage, it went to Tech and went to UVA back in the early 2000s. But I'm going to ask this. It's just a little fun. How much grief did you catch from your, your former UVA teammates? I mean, when they when they saw it on Twitter, like, wait a minute, Fontel's <laughs> going to Tech to coach? You know what? Not too bad. It was probably more so uh, some Twitter people kind of came kind of at me. <laughs> Twitter was on fire from in, in Charlottesville, but – um. You know, my, my guys got it, man, especially if I have a lot of uh, former teammates in the coaching circle and they kind of understand uh, the nature of this business and the opportunities I have for professional 
advancement and, you know, an opportunity to, to take, take care of my family and provide for my son. And, you know, that was the number one thing for me. And then really an opportunity to stay in the Commonwealth. I mean, you talk about uh, Virginia and, you know, what this place means to me and what this state means to me. And, uh, you know, it's the world, man. So it was, it was something I couldn't pass up. Yeah, so, Coach, we know that, you know, over your 13-year career, you've had, you know, some stops all around the mid-Atlantic, uh, what is it, East Carolina, JMU, Richmond, uh, Old Dominion. We probably yeah. can go on and on. Uh, but <laughs> with, you, with you being at Tech now, you know, how, how has that helped you jump right into your day-to-day job and, you know, recruiting? Because we know, like, Virginia recruiting has turned up a little bit. Yeah, it, for me, it was a seamless transition. Um, you talk about uh, James Madison. You talk about University of Richmond. You talk about East Carolina and Old Dominion. I was responsible for recruiting the Richmond area. I was responsible for, for recruiting the Virginia Beach 757 area. So I've known all those coaches for the past 15 years. I've known some of those coaches since I was a player. You know, you walk into those schools and some of those guys have an opportunity to remember coaching against me or I walk into Hermitage High School and I'm having conversations with a guy that's my former teammate. Uh, so for me, man, it, it, it made all the sense in the world. I was already recruiting a lot of those guys. Some I couldn't get. Um, now it gave me an opportunity to really give them an opportunity to come play for me. Uh, you know, Takai Heath comes to mind. Uh, I've probably been recruiting this kid for two years. Um, Braylon Johnson, I've probably been talking to this guy for the last two years. Uh, Cam Fleming, uh, mm-hmm. I played AAU basketball with Cam Fleming's uncle. Um, so, you know, just those connections, you know, give kids a, a sense of peace. Uh, the kids, the parents. Um, so it was good, man. It's been awesome for me. Man, I absolutely love hearing that. And I'm going to pivot a little bit away from that because Tally mentioned the day-to-day work. And right now, y'all are right smack dab in the middle of winter workouts. And yeah. you know, we've seen you post Tucker Holloway, Benji Gosnell, Jalen Lane stepping up. Um, but what is the primary focus for you during this time period for evaluating your guys during those workouts? And especially with bringing three new guys into the fold. Competition, uh, mental toughness, details. Those are the top three for me. Um and then dependability. I mean, you're asking guys to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, be dressed and ready in the, on the field at six, six o'clock, ready to work for an hour, and then go to class, you know, not show up on any lists, go to weights. So it's giving me an opportunity. If I can't count on you outside of football, if guys are being late to class or missing class, there's no way in the world I'm going to be able to count on you on third and eight to run the right route. Uh, and it's also giving the transfers an opportunity to really engulf themselves in our environment, right, in our culture, and to really establish themselves on who they are and to learn the playbook, to learn the playbook, to learn their teammates. So this, to me, is really the most important time for our team. Uh, but competitions, you know, that, that stands alone at the top without a, without a question. Yeah, definitely. So I'm glad you mentioned, uh, mentioned transfers there, Coach. Because, um, you know, us as fans, man, we look at things and we see things a totally different light than you guys do. But yeah. um, coming off of a three and eight season, what does Coach Mines do? He goes into the portal. He pulls out three top 25 uh, transfers to flip that room. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how you were able to, you know, identify what you were looking for and how you went into recruiting that room, which 
such a quick uh, turnaround after the season going into spring? Yeah, the, the first thing that I wanted um, while targeting some transfers and even high school kids was I wanted guys that would come in right away day one and compete to start. I didn't want to recruit anybody to be a depth guy. I didn't want to recruit anybody to be a special teams guy. I wanted to bring in guys to raise the level of competition in that room because um, that's going to bring the best out of all of us, myself, uh, the returning guys. And there's it's no ego in this. Like um, that, that comes the business part of this. And, and they're all different, right? They all have a different unique skill set. I've known Ali since Ali was six, seven years old. I have a have a great relationship with him. I remember him coming to camps that we had uh, back in Richmond. Uh, I went to school with his brother. Uh, obviously, I was at Old Dominion with him for a year. Um, and you talk about a guy that's proven. I mean, all three of them, they're proven. They played a lot of football. They've had a lot of production. All right, that's hard to pass up. Uh, two of them are Virginia guys, right, from, from our, front, our area, Richmond and the 757. You talk about Daquan Felden. Immediately, he brings a level of attitude, mindset, and mentality. Like, town, baby. Like you know, you know what time it is, and like he's he's different. Like he doesn't flinch. Um, and then you talk about Jalen Lane, who's who's my silent assassin. He just comes to work every single day. He competes his butt off. I mean, he's a punt returner. He's a kick returner. He plays in the slide. He plays on the outside. So immediately. Uh, you know, that room changes. The dynamics of that room change. Uh, you don't have to depend on a true freshman, a guy that might not be ready to play, right? Now you can kind of give time, give guys time to develop. Um, so I'm excited, man. We were able to get those. And not just me, man, just the group effort, Coach Bowen, uh, you know, Coach Rudolph, Coach Glenn, like all those guys played a big part in that, you know, but the relationship piece, you know, I'm relationship built, man, the relationship piece. Uh, it meant a lot, man. I had an opportunity to see those guys, yeah. you know, Quan on, on his own turf. I recruited Jalen Lane when I was at East Carolina, you know, so I've known him. You talk about coachable with Jalen Lane. His dad's a high school coach. I mean, the kid comes in right away. He picks up the offense. He knows what he's doing. Uh, and, you know, he just works every single day. So, you know, that's kind of what it is for that. And that, that was my thought process. Seems like from a skill set point of view, they have a lot of complementary skills and that they each – kind of do different things really well. And I think that's going to be great to build on for the season for sure. Um, But let me ask this. We're talking off season. You got spring practice starting here in a few weeks. Uh, In year one, the big focus for the team was winning every rep, that competition, right? And you've already spoken on that a little bit. Uh, While that hasn't changed for year two, what is one area of focus that you guys have kind of circled for the spring that may not have been there last year, or may have been a lower priority last year. I know it was there, and it's and it's been a priority, but you can never focus enough on the details. Um, if the route's four yards, running four yards. If it's six steps, running six steps. If you're supposed to convert versus this coverage, we need you to convert. We need our receivers to be where they're supposed to be at. Right, make the plays, make the routine plays. I have a little sense. Make the layups. Right. If if you got an access yep. throw to the field and the quarterback throws it to you on time, make the layup, right? That's that's Rouse on there for us. So, like, I'm putting the pressure on those guys for perfection, right? Um, I, I'm asking for, for, for perfection, understanding and knowing, right, what I'm going to get is a product 
um, of competition and guys that were better than we were this last spring. That's the only goal, right? To put guys on that field that's going to be better than we were last year. And that's no knock to anybody that played last year. Uh, but if I'm not recruiting guys or recruiting talent that's going to come in and play, then I'm not doing my job. Man, I, I love hearing that, that you, you talk about the details and, like, make the layups because there's so many times in this game where there's a layup play. You make that, yeah, it's only five yards. Now it's second and five. No doubt. It makes everything no easier. It makes everything yeah. easier, right? Absolutely. We talk about it every week, right, Curtis? <laughs> if, you, if you're making the layups – yeah. In, in football, then eventually that team's going to guard the layups harder and the the, the harder stuff is going to become easier because they focus on the easy stuff. Well, All right, right. let me put this, pivot to this. Um, and not only for you, but kind of the staff in general, what were some of the lessons learned from year one and how are y'all approaching that going into year two? I mean, you get an opportunity to learn your, your, your personnel, to learn your players. Um, to be honest with you, like, I didn't really get a great feel for who they were until week four to five. I mean, yes, we were with them all off season in the winter. Yes, we were with them in the spring. We were with them in the summer. But you don't really know, truly know them until those bullets start flying in Lane Stadium in front of 65,000 yep. people. Like, that's when you get a good vibe for, all right, this is who this kid is, right? This is our strength. This is our weakness. Let's play to this, right? This this formation or this concept has been successful or he runs this route better versus this coverage. So it gave us an opportunity uh, to get a good feel for our guys and, you know, try to gain some momentum down the stretch. And, you know, we were competitive in a lot of games. I think we lost four games by 11 points, man. So you just talk about the difference that a year can make. Um, it can be tremendous. Yep. Definitely coach. When you talk about the losing the, you know, like you said, losing, a couple of games by a couple of points, um, you know, that as, as fans, it's heartbreaking. You know, yeah. we, we, you know, we get beat up a little bit, but not as much. Yeah. Not, I tore up a little bit, not as much as, you know, probably you guys do, but uh, learning how to win definitely was a theme in that, in, that, in, in year one, uh, both, you know, for the staff and the players. Uh, do you feel like, you know, everything started to come together? All, all those elements came together, you know, at the end of the season at that Liberty game. I do feel like that. I feel like we hit our stride. I feel like the kids were bought in. They were bought into the game plan. They were bought into what we wanted to do. And it was never a moment where we showed up on a Sunday and those guys weren't ready to work. Mm -hmm. So I give a lot of credit to them, man. They didn't fold. There was no issues in the locker room. So you talk about culture and you talk about something to build off of, like that's what we're going to build off of. We, had, we were able to run the ball to win the game and to seal the game and to finish the game. Guys made plays down the stretch, right? That's maturity. That's growth. And that's a lot for us to build on. And it was on the road versus a really talented Liberty team. Definitely. We had talked about that a lot when we were looking at it. Um, in that kind of that winning time sequence, uh, it felt like offense, defense, special teams, you know, they kind of made the plays that you need to make to close that thing out. Whereas a few games earlier in the year, you know, one element was not there in the closeout. Uh, maybe another here and there in another game. But in that game, it felt like all the pieces kind of came together for you. Played a complete game. You're absolutely right, man. It takes all three phases. And, and I tell you, for me on that game, it was the last series where offense or defense stopped on offense, drove the field, scored. Yeah. They come back, defense stops them again. And then you guys on offense, your guys blocking on the outside, making catches. It's like they're not getting this ball back. 
Yeah. It mm-hmm. ends right here. No doubt. And y'all knelt it down. It's like yeah. over. And yeah. and as a fan, it made us feel great yeah. because you like like Tally said, we saw it. It was like where that first down, we hadn't got that in a couple games, and it breaks our heart. We know it hurts y'all, but it's like we got the first down. Yeah. We we kept pushing it. Love it. Brian, I know you got something you want to ask him here. Yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about recruiting focus. Uh, we know in year one, the big mantra was repairing those relationships in the state of Virginia in the footprint. Um, how did the relationships and rapport that you had from your previous stops help you on that front? Yeah, it's trust, man. Uh, it's trust. It's guys understanding who I am as a person, who I am as a coach, um, believing in you know my coaching philosophy and also believing in Coach Pride's philosophy. Um, and I think a lot of guys initially, um, when they get hired, they see a lot of things, but they won't do it. And, and Coach Pride, you know, he stood on that. He stood on the table with that. Or, we're going to recruit this state. Um, he said it. He meant it. Uh, and we did it. And, and we found ways to foster those relationships, whether it was, you know, these clinics uh, that we're going to do, getting on these guys' turf, um, you know, guard down, spending time with them, talking ball, eating good food. And, and just relaxing, man. And I think that means a lot to those guys. And, you know, taking that opportunity to do that and recruit those schools, right? You, you talk about a school like Highland Springs. They're going to have prospects every single year. You talk about Hermitage. You talk about you go to guys in Northern Virginia, um, Freedom. And there's all these talented, talented prospects in this state, right, that could be overlooked because – it may look great in another state bar in Texas and Florida, and, and you can go get – and I'm not saying you can't go get guys from those places, right? But if you start you start in the state, right, I, I guarantee you, you can find guys talented enough and willing enough to win you a lot of games when it's all said and done. And then you're building those relationships. So when that four- and five-star prospect comes out, right, he's got a teammate already in Blacksburg, right? He's already seen me a couple times in the school. The coach already knows what he's going to get from us, and that's really what it's about, man. It's being it's being honest, it's being us, it's being genuine, uh, and giving those guys an opportunity to trust us. And you know, that's all that Coach Pride's direction, man. What you see is what you get, right? There's no fluff, there's no recruiting pitch. Uh, it's not us out here selling dreams. It's us out here just being real. And that's, uh, I mean, that's as a fan, that's refreshing, man. Like that's. Yeah. We, we, we definitely are, are, are welcoming that, you know, even feeling that I'm all the way down here in Alabama and I'm feeling that I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm hopping up and down, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To see you guys out there. But um, from what I'm hearing now, you can tell me if I'm wrong. They're telling me when you come to Virginia, you got to check in with Coach Mines. That's his, <laughs> that's his turf, man. They said that, that he is running things there. Yeah. Uh, cool. But, you know, kind of the question that I have for you is, uh, people know you are a Virginia guy. They know you, you know, you went to UVA. You've been around for a while. Uh, how much did the staff lean on you, lean on your your relationships? Did you have any guys that kind of came to you and were like, hey, coach, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to Hermitage today. What, what do I need to – is there a certain person I need to see? You yeah. know, did you have anybody to lean on you? Absolutely, man. In, in each pocket of the state is a little bit different, right? Recruiting Richmond – it's completely different in recruiting 757, right? You may have to go through three people in a 757 before you actually get to the kid. Um, but that's just kind of how it is, and that's the name of the business, man. But, like, the the, the relationships, they did lean on me. Um, you know, we have some guys that's off the field that's from Virginia, but when you just talk about 
hey, man, I'm going to this school. Here's where you need to talk to. Or I'm going to this area. Here's where you need to talk to. Here's where you need to stay. Right? These are the six schools you need to hit this day. Right? Or taking another notch, you're watching the highlight tape. This is the brand of football that these guys play. Right? This is how coachable these guys have historically been. Uh, and you just look at our recruiting class, right? I think we had guy uh, that total class, it was 19 state championships, right, in that one class. So you talk about recruiting winners, guys that have been well coached, guys that come here, and it's going to piss them off to lose, right? And that's the kind of attitude that we need. Oh, I love that right there. That's, that's, that's the mentality, man. You talk about the state championships, the guys you're bringing in, they're winners. And like you said, they don't want to lose. So I'm sure you've got some of them already joining you on campus that have already brought that to the table during the Hunger Games and during some of the workouts where it's like, I'm not losing this rep. No I don't lose these reps. I've won all these reps since I've been a freshman in high school. Yeah. Um, let me pivot just a little bit of fun here. So if the Hokey Tailgate <laughs> comes back to the RVA this year, comes to Hardywood Park, just about five minutes from my house here, is Fontel Mines? Can Fontel Mines make an appearance there? Hold on, what's the date? Well, last year was in July. That's possible. Okay, that's possible. All right, absolutely. If you, you are, date and I'll do my best to get there. You got my word on that. All right, if and we get it. It's your off season vacation, family time. If you can't, if you can't, we understand. But if we see you, we are coming up, and we are going to talk with you a little bit more there, man. Let's do it, man. Tyler, you got one more for him, right? Yep. So, Fontel, you know we know, man. We know you got a birthday coming up. You might try to hide it from everybody else, but. I do. Man, <laughs> we know. We know when the birthday is. For everybody who don't know, we got February 26th. I'm not going to call his age out. I'm going <laughs> to let him do that. <laughs> but, you know, the, the question I have for you is, is, is as a coach, um, what would be the best gift you can get on your birthday? From a coaching gift. perspective, for for from a coaching perspective, having mm-hmm. it fall on a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my from my perspective, this year is we'll be driving back from North Virginia, so pray I don't have any traffic, right? And I can get back to my wife and my son and enjoy it with my family. Nice man, I see the picture back there. I see y'all had the all white on in the back. Yeah, we got the stay picture icy, behind man. you, man. That looks yeah, good. Icy. There we go. I appreciate awesome, man. that. Man. I love it, man. Hey, Coach, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us and talk with us today. And, yes, if y'all are wondering, my head turned to the right. My six-year-old son opened the door and said, Daddy, can you come do this for me? I'm like, not right now. Not right now. Daddy, stop. I, I, get, I get that part. Mine will be three here pretty soon, so I understand that. Yeah, it's great, yeah. man. But, Coach Mines, from the boundary corner here, we really appreciate you joining us again today. And um, best of luck with the coaching clinics and everything in the spring. I appreciate you guys, man. Absolutely appreciate the support. Anytime, anything you need from me. Keep knocking them out, coach. All right, no doubt, man. Keep it rocking, coach. You're getting it done. We appreciate you. All right, thanks. And that was Coach Fontel Mines that joined us last Tuesday. First of all, Brian, Tally, it was a blast to talk to that man in general. It just felt he was relaxed. It was natural. I feel like, Brian, if he does make it to Hardywood, we're going to probably be 20, 30 minutes with him on the patio out there drinking a, <laughs> drinking either a, a fighting Hokies lager or all hell to the drink and shooting the breeze with him. It, it, he, I mean, you got to love that about him in general. Yeah, you definitely see, uh, you know, 
how he has success on the trail. Very relaxed. Uh, somebody you definitely want to have a conversation with, just kind of sit down, shoot the breeze. Um, so, I mean, that aspect, you can definitely see why he's a, he's a successful, successful man and a successful coach. Yeah. Tally. P-Town, Tally. P-Town. P-Town, baby. He would right away, baby. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Already. So, so let me ask you this, guys, and, and y'all chime in, whoever wants to chime in first. How do y'all think his – how – what has his impact been on that wide receiver room? Um, I'll, I'll take a lead on this one. I mean, I look at it, uh, the thing that we see, obviously, is, you know, you get a big impact from a recruiting standpoint, notch it up a little bit on the trail in the state of Virginia, especially in Richmond area. But you're also seeing, uh, you know, bringing in three um, top twenty, you know, top top of the league uh, transfer portal players from the wide receiver perspective to kind of bolster that room. But the thing that kind of impressed me, and this is actually um, something that came out during the prior review on Tech sideline, um, talking about Christian Moss and kind of how he's kind of redoubled um, his efforts and trying to get playing time and, 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 and really kind of digging in um, to, to be a contributor in that wide receiver room. Cause I think a, lo- a lot of folks saw him as like a potential transfer portal uh, p- player after the way the season wrapped up and, you know, with the guys that we brought in, but now he's, it sounds like he's kind of changed the culture in that room in terms of guys competing for spots, competing for time, competing for reps. So that's, I think that's, the, that's a big impact as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, I listened to him when he was talking about the he wanted to bring people in to compete right away. He didn't want to bring depth guys in. So people who are already there, if the coach is telling us that, I'm sure he's telling them that. So sometimes football players, you're getting your feelings. You, hey, I'm bringing people in here to compete for playing time. And uh, Pry kind of, you know, came out and said, you know, we didn't know what we were going to get out of out of Christian. He's been kind of pretty much underwhelming, but he came in the office and said, Hey, this is what I want to do. And this is what he's been living up to. So I think that that mindset that, uh, that Fontel has brought to that room has just been a hard nose, you know, let's grind. So I'm excited to see what happens with that, with that wide receiver room. I think it'll be one of our deepest and most talented room, um, positions this season. So yeah, he put on a clinic and had a flip a room in one off season. Yeah. I mean, and he did it. Yep. And he did it impressively. What about you, Sheldon? I mean, have you had any, I don't know if you've had any interactions with coach mine since you've been up there, you didn't get to join us on the interview or anything. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, you know, I've, uh, I kind of seen him at, at PK sometimes. That's my only, uh, interactions, <laughs> but even then he's like, I mean, he's the life of the party, man. He's always living up with everyone talking to everyone. He's just like, sometimes you can, you see a guy, you see a coach and you can just tell like, he's like, he gets it. Like he's a good, he's a good recruiter. He's a good relationships guy. He relates well to a lot of different players. I mean, I think it was pretty impressive that he got Allie Jennings to come here on one year of eligibility. I mean, it's just like, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't a great offense last year. He got some quarterback questions, but like, he, I mean, the fact that he convinced a guy like that to come here, like that's, that speaks volumes to his recruiting abilities. I think. Yeah. I, I love you saying that at PKs, he's the life of the party. First of all, he's also like what, six, five. Yes. He is a huge guy. So mm-hmm. clearly it's, it's just like, I'm, I'm assuming it's a magnetic effect with him. Like a lot of our guys. Um, and he's known to pull the best out of all his guys. Robbie, obviously, 
Robbie's our coach friend who has some connections down at ECU where coach minds coach. And I love the point there at the end. We were talking about, did guys come to you on this staff when they visited schools? And he was like, yeah. And I was making sure this is who you talk to. This is, this is who you go to because that is so much important, especially with the new staff or new people coming on in which we're going to talk about it in about three or four minutes here. We're going to have, you know, new coaches coming on in the near future. And to have somebody like Fontel Mines, who, especially in the state of Virginia, you walk into a high school, he can tell you who to talk to, where to go, what to do, what they do. That's huge because sometimes you don't have that. And when you don't have that, Tally, you're in the car, you know, you're in, you're in the salesman business and you know about those relationships, about knowing this is how you talk to this guy. This is where you go here. And to have him like that, it's almost having like, and I think he is the recruiting is he the recruiting offensive recruiting coordinator? He's the offensive the recruiting staff, coordinator. Yeah. So doesn't that make sense from what everything he's telling us there? Oh, yeah, um, definitely. So now he said it himself. And when we were coming up, you know, if you were in the state of Virginia, you went to one of two schools and you go look back through the history of time. You know, he was playing at Hermitage in, you know, 08, or excuse me, in the early 2000s with Dwayne. And we saw Tweedy come through there, and we said, guys, go to UVA. What do y'all feel about him selling Virginia recruits our program, even though he's a UVA guy? Who's going to take it? Anybody? I'll take it. Why, why not? So, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, for, so, from a Virginia recruiting perspective – He's the guy that's selling a vision of when not only Virginia Tech was one of the top 10, 15 programs in the country, but from when the UVA-Virginia Tech rivalry was still a, a rivalry and not a rivalry of mid, but a rivalry of top three and four teams in their conference, top one and two teams in their conference. He remembers those days, so he's, he's selling what – what what can be, what was, and what can be again. So I think that that's big because he, he can set, kind of say, "Hey, yeah, I did. I, I kept my talents in the state. I went to University of Virginia. You know, I I, I did these things that helped build me and build my brand and, and be able to do the things that I wanted to do. So it's it's you know I'd say it's just as good as having an alumni on the staff in, the, in that regard because he is still selling that same type of vision." of guys that have been able to do it at Virginia Tech or do it at UVA. They've been able to go to their in-state school and show out. Yeah, I, I, I you know, of course, I'm from, from Bama, so we're a little bit different here. Like, when you see somebody, I don't know, Alabama's just different. When we see Julio Jones in the league, it's not like Alabama born and bred. Like, we don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we, just, we like what we like, but – Virginia people are so prideful about their state. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've seen so many people that was like, you know, Mac McClung won the dunk contest, and it was like everybody was claiming him from Virginia. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, it, it didn't matter. I don't even know where he's from, but everybody was claiming him. Gate so, City. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, every, everybody uh, had a Gate City jersey. Yeah, like it's one like or two days the later. only time that I've seen Alabama be like that gung-ho about something, was fucking Ruben Stutter in the uh, uh what is it the American, American Idol. Idol. Like you've seen 205 <laughs> stuff everywhere. 
That's the only time Alabama's ever been like, we're proud of Alabama. But Virginia people, when they talk about like music, you talk about clips, Chris Brown, and you know, so on and so yeah, so on and so forth. And then you know, you go into Allen Iverson and and and, and Vic, like. Virginia people are very prideful, so I, I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's such a like crazy thing to be like, man, I don't care where you go to be successful. I just want you to put on for the state. So yep. I think yep. he's got that kind of mantra when he's moving forward. Like, I know UVA ain't shit, but I'm trying to make Virginia Tech the shit. So come on over here and let's get it done. And see the the point that he's making point there, mm -hmm. and I'll, anything you want to chime in, I'll let you do this. Is because the best both programs have ever been is when everybody top twenty in state were all going to those schools, mm -hmm. and that roughly is from nineteen ninety three to two thousand three. The years UVA beat FSU. The years we went to the national title game. Tiki Ronde. You start going through those that ten year stretch. Those were legitimately – Tech was a top 10 team. Virginia was a top 20 team those years. Go back and look through the annals of history, and it tells you during that 10-year stretch, and Dwight Vick on this program has said it, when those schools are good, the state's better. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I'm going to make a real point right here. Um, not that one, but this one. The one thing he said about that conference was, yeah, I'm at the AFCA conference, and all of a sudden Brent Pryor wants to interview to me to be a next head coach. I, I don't he was like i don't have my papers i don't have my suit oh shit what am i supposed to do and clearly again i think that personality just knocked it out the ballpark mm -hmm. um yeah i mean if, if you got a personality like that it, it doesn't matter the scenario that the interview takes place it's all about you know how, how you can present you know your vision for a room and what you can do on the trail um, both individually and to kind of raise the bar across the board for the rest of the staff. And he's shown that, uh, that he has the aptitude to do that pretty good. So it's, it's the culture. Yep. They're, they're selling a culture. Um, mm -hmm. Sheldon, again, you living down there, you, you probably hear and see more about it than ever. And this is a three and eight football team that, you know, the worst we've seen in 30 years. And like, you know, Tally, you know, said it straight up. You pull three top 25 guys out of the portal. What's the culture, you know, what are you hearing from winter workouts being a little closer down there? And I know we know you have a job and we know you're doing things, but when you get to go into PKs and you get to go around the folks, what is that culture being like you know, that he's mentioning in these interviews? I think the guys have done a really good job of sticking together despite adversity. Like we, I mean, if you look back at last year, like obviously it's the worst tech team pretty much ever. Um, and we didn't have any sort of, you know, locker room, you know, brouhaha's, like it wasn't like a bunch of infighting. It wasn't like guys pointing fingers, which was, you know, during the winter era, like a, a literally a regular occurrence, even when no, we were no, going, no like, turkey bacon articles. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No, uh, no sports illustrated hit pieces, no Trey Turner spilling dirt, no guys trying to intentionally lose games. Um, it's like, it's much better. So I think, um, I think fans in general somewhat overstate the impact that wins and losses has on recruiting. I think recruiting boils down to relationships. And if you're a coach who can sell, sell a young 18 year old kid on the prospect of, uh, you know, playing for your, for, for your team in the future, you're trying to sell him a vision 
on what's going to happen in the future. And that's what, that's what recruiting boils down to because guys want to be a part of that winning program. So you can go three and eight, but if you can sell them on, you know, Hey, this, we're going to get all these good guys and uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to get this thing turned around. Like that's, I mean, that's how you, that's how you do it. You know? There and you it's go. something to be said about being kind of a part of something that you had a hand in building. Um, I, and I think a lot, historically Virginia players have taken pride in that. Um, so just looking at it from that perspective, you know, there, there are guys that, yeah, they, they still see, they still see the Bama's, they still see the Georgia's. Obviously those are easy to, they get eyes on your play and because they get eyes on your play, it's a, it's a path to the, uh, to the next level. Um, it makes that easier, but in terms of just being a part of building something or bringing, in this case, bringing something back, that's definitely something that, that I think, you know, can resonate with some kids, especially kids in state. Absolutely. And I think Robbie might sell it the best here. He sells a game in the idea that takes it to be successful regardless where he's coaching. And it seems that way because clearly, I mean, he is a guy in his late thirties. He's already ranked up to a division one, you know, P five program in a short time coaching. And he's building a reputation as a good recruiter and a good coach overall. And it was a pleasure to have him. Um, hopefully Brian's working on some other interviews. I don't know who else we're going to be getting in the near future. Hoping more. Yeah. Um, we got, we got, we got some of the, in the turnpike here. We, we got something, we got something burning. We'll, we'll, we'll be keeping you guys updated. We so, could, all right. So there's a big elephant in the room. We have not talked about it yet. We are an hour and 20 minutes in. I think we should be commended because we haven't talked about it yet. <laughs> It's a miracle we got. We didn't it. take the low hanging fruit. That's what we happened. did. We, take got, a, we got a big fruit. cycle. I mean, you know, some of this we have, we had planned a lot of things in this episode out for you know about a week or so. So um, the big news, obviously, Joe Rudolph is now the offensive line coach at Notre Dame. Seven figure uh, offensive line coach at Notre. Seven Dame. figure offensive <laughs> line coach. You know, um, I think that took him from being the fifth uh, highest paid offensive line coach to the number one uh, highest paid offensive line coach. So that says. Not only a lot about the pool that we put in for him to bring him here, but also um, how he's kind of viewed by others around the country, especially the the Blue Bloods there. So even after a shitty three and eight season, yeah, exactly I mean, not the best offensive line play in the country. Yeah, there there wasn't a whole lot to kind of point at the resume <laughs> last year and say, yeah, that that's me, right? So um, that that definitely speaks to his reputation. It speaks to the relationships that he's built as well. So. Um, you know, good for him. I mean, that's, that's a big move, but now we kind of, we, we turned the page, right? Uh, who's next? Well, anybody, anybody. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It can't be anybody. It's, it's, it, I'll say that it can't be anybody, but obviously the names start floating right between mm-hmm. message boards, you know, Twitter in general. And, you know, one of the first things that popped up was Ty Washington yeah. and, you know, and for, for a lot of us, that's a, that's a heart because Todd played here back in the 1990s. Todd was a four-year starter, guard center, um, went on and then played seven years in the NFL, which is, you know, basically 350% more than what normally happens. And got out of the NFL and started coaching immediately down at San Diego. He's made a plethora of stops between, you know, the Ravens, the Jets, the Jags. And then you kind of look there and say, well, he's a Virginia Tech guy. He coached with Bowen last year, and he could be a name out there. Um, you know, does he come here, you know, get out of the pro ranks? And, you know, 
Any, any feelings on Todd Washington? I'll say I'll this: if, if he was that. if he was given the job, I mean, if he was off the job, he'd take it. Um, I think that's been made abundantly clear, uh, both by him and by others that know him. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm subtweeting Dwight Vick there. If y'all didn't, <laughs> no, <laughs> didn't no way. Go ahead, yeah, go ahead, Alex. I would definitely, you know, you know, my Dwight's my boy, so I I, I take what he says uh, to heart a lot, and I know he knows his stuff. Uh, but just looking at it as a fan, man, and and knowing about recruiting, the only thing I can say, um, I don't even want to say negative, but like Todd hadn't been in the he hadn't been in the recruiting game in a long time, you know. And the thing that's going to get us to the next level is talent. You know, we have to get some talent. We have to be able to recruit. And I think Fontel kind of said some stuff that a lot of people don't think about. You know, when you recruit in certain places, you you have to talk to three and four people before you get to the kid or before you get to a coach. So um, that's, that's the thing that worries me about him, the name that's more intriguing. I don't want to say more intriguing, but to me, uh, it's intriguing to me is uh, Marcus Marcus Johnson. So that name is very intriguing because he's first of all he's like six six, three hundred and fifty pounds, <laughs> big man. Like you want, I want a big man coaching the offensive line. You know what I'm saying? But um, just that name and and looking at his resume and stuff like that of what he's done and where he's played. Like I I like what I see from him. I'm, uh, I would like a like a coach like that. That's just me. I, I listen. Marcus Johnson right now is my one, and I'm gonna ask all y'all three at the end. And I think Tally, you might be feeling the same way as me. You know, he's a young guy. He's in his early 40s. He played a bunch of years in the NFL. He played down at Ole Miss, um, and then he kind of came up through the ranks a little different. He started as a strength and conditioning coach at Duke. Um, and stayed there, worked his way up to O-line coach. It shows you he has a grind mentality. As as Brian playing on the line, Tally playing tight end, y'all know those guys can grind. But the one piece that I look at and why I like him more than anything is he can recruit. Go look at his 247 profile. He recruited Charles Cross. He developed Charles Cross into a – Charles Cross, I hate to say this, as a 49ers fan – He's going to be a pain in the ass at left tackle for the next decade up at the Seahawks. He is. Mm-hmm. He just freaking is. Um, um, so, but then I see 18 and 19. You go to his Wikipedia page, look at his bio. He played at Mississippi State under Joe Moorhead. Mm-hmm. We know, and we saw at the end of last year, we're getting to that RPO mesh. We're getting to that RPO mesh. So, He's done it for two years. He's done a Drinkwitch system, which is, again, a similar mesh-type offense. So I think probably for what Tyler Bowen's looking to, to coach offensive line-wise, I think that's it. Sheldon, you got somebody else in mind, though, right? Yeah, a guy that hasn't really been mentioned in any of these discussions is uh, Eugene Chung. I only bring him up because I have a I have a coaching buddy in the Richmond area whose opinion I respect uh, greatly. And you just mentioned Eugene Chung who is a tech graduate of uh, 1992. I think he was drafted Mm -hmm. in 92 to the NFL. Um, He did a really, he was a really big part of building out those Eagles offensive lines. Um, I think they had a couple of starters in the Super Bowl this year that were 
um, kind of developed when he was there. He hasn't been there in a, in a while, I think three years since he's been there. Um, yeah. But they, the Eagles are typically, you know, one of the better offensive line teams in the NFL uh, year over year. Um, and he, and he was a big part of that. So, you know, I just, I just thought it was, a, it was a good kind of uh, maybe under the radar name to mention. Um, he's got it, obviously got great credentials. Great credentials. Kyle, his son played, obviously at tech definitely yep. super associated with the school and he coached a long time. He played a long time in the league and then he coached a long time in the league. Yep. So if, if tomorrow they announce Eugene Chung, I think us four are like guy loves the school guy knows how to coach O line. Now, yeah, Brian, I mean, kind, of, kind of kind of similar hire to, to Todd Washington, just not quite, you know, a little bit slightly different areas, but slightly different area, a little older, but coached a coached a long, long time. Yeah. Now, a couple other names being thrown out there, and these are more of our Penn State connections. Is you got Herb Hand and Matt Lime Lime, Gro- Lime Grover Lime like the fruit. Um, Hand's currently down at UCF with Gus Malzahn, was up at Penn State, obviously, and at Vanderbilt. And then you got Lime Grover, again, another Penn State guy, three years while Prowl was there. Um, He's currently at Kent State, so he's taking a little step back. He is their co-OC and offensive line. Um, Either of these jump out for any of y'all, Brian, Tally? Herb Hand is is kind of the guy that I would like to to go after, and there's a couple reasons. Obviously, the connections, uh, style of play uh, that we're looking for on offense. Um, the other thing, you know, he he's had stops at some bigger programs. He's seen how that works, um, but he's also a guy that is at UCF right now, making right at three hundred thousand dollars. So, the pool that we have to offer at offensive line could be very significant for that caliber of coach. Whereas, you know, you look at Marcus Johnson, he's making in the $500,000 range, it looks like. So whether Missouri can can kind of jump up to meet, meet that, that's to be seen. But I think we could actually, from a bidding standpoint, our pool is pretty big, especially because of what Joe Rudolph was making and what mm-hmm. our potential is there. So um, I think a, a you know, 500K plus uh Bump in salary for Herb Hand might be very intriguing, um, whereas you know, a couple hundred thousand may not be worth worth it for Marcus Johnson to kind of take the leap out of the SEC into the ACT and into kind of a rebuild. So um, that's kind of where I'm leaning. And then you got you know another guy that's been mentioned is uh, offensive line coach at SMU, uh, Garen Justice. So you know, th- there's a lot of guys that are out there. I would put Herb Hand in my top list of wants um just because i think it is practical but also would be a a a really good replacement for joe rudolph i'll say this about justice a rhett lashley system again it's the rpo it's the mesh spread look at what my and brian mentioned it on this program when we played them after the flip when they hired rhett lashley under manny diaz you basically said that offensive line is shit is shit and basically, in one season, you know, Garen Justice went down there and basically flipped them to be a very competent offensive line where Miami that season ranked in the top 30 in offense. And he's really good at coaching pass, bro, because the thing we talked about before that season was like, this team is completely ass in pass, bro. <laughs> ass. And they they had a really big bump up. And then you brought up another stat um, from last year where, you know, Running, running, rushing the ball middle of the pack, but 
you know, really good in terms of uh, not allowing sacks. So, I mean, it, it looks like that's traveling. It's not just a Miami thing. Yep. Any 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 feelings towards those three guys, Tally or Sheldon? Man, I'm kind of I'm. Hey, I told you. I mean, Todd Washington. I, I I'd be all right with that. Like Brian said, Herb Hand. That's I think that's a good look. Or, or Marcus Johnson. Now, of course, you know, in typical Virginia Tech fashion, we ain't getting none of them three. <laughs> we're, we're, we ain't going that route, but that's okay. But uh, that's just kind of what I think and what I what I look for, um, and I'd love to see happen. But um, Pride talked about it again. Um, if, if anybody hadn't uh, TSL, went, yeah, you know, hadn't go, went and looked at the TSL interview, he talked about you know we wanted to get we wanted to run the ball more uh, than we did last year, more of a power running team, and it just it's just not us. You know, it just wasn't what we were going to be good at. So they want to get to running the quarterback more. So he said, and I, I'm paraphrasing, so I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he said something uh, to the effect of we want to run the quarterback till he says, hey, I don't I don't want to run no more. You know what I mean? So we, we, we're going to get to that RPO, and I think it's going to help us a lot because when we're good at that, I think our team is good. So, Hey, Sean, let me ask you this just to get your kind of feel. Again, being alumni of Tech – when that report and when it's been said that Tech damn near got up to a million to offer Rudolph nine seventy five, I think is the number that is floating yeah. around. Did that shock you, or does that say okay, we're back to where we were fifteen years ago, where we're top fifteen, top twenty, and actually paying people? Yeah, I mean they are top twenty. I I've I haven't looked at numbers in a while, but we are at least top twenty five in the country in terms of coaching salaries for this particular staff. Um, it's kind of crazy though when you look at it. Like Tech was paying nine, you know, nine fifty or something like that to Rudolph, and he still is for Notre Dame, who's giving him you know a big a big salary increase. And there's probably a handful of schools that uh, that can you know offer more than Notre Dame. Um, so it kind of just shows you like the discrepancy in terms of you know the very top at at the in college football compared to all the rest. But, like, I don't think – the coaching salary is just not an issue anymore. Like, we have the money to hire quality um, assistants. Even if you look at a guy like, you know, Pratt Glenn, he was making a ton. I don't know what the, the exact number was for Glenn, but, um, you know, he's making a, he's making a decent salary. Um, same for all of, you know, all of our other coordinators. So, it's, you know, the, the good thing about all this influx of cash in the program, like the, the Reach for Excellence campaign, like, we, we're in a much better position, I think, infrastructure-wise, you know, when you look at – facilities, uh, sports staff, coaching salaries, like we're, we're much more competitive in those areas. So I don't worry too much about this hire because I think at the very least, um, you know, we have, we have a much more, we have a much uh, better chance of, of making the right, the right hire for us because we can uh, compensate them adequately. Good good you, yeah. Good that you kind of, you know, brought up the, the quarterback position, the quarterback uh, coaching position as well. So, um, I guess Curtis, you know, what, what what you thinking about that, man? What you thinking about the coaching? The coaching? Well, well so, first of all, know. we're ten days removed. I was hoping somebody would be named by now. <laughs> Not only because it's easier to talk to, because now we got to do a bunch of speculation. I mean, me and we, me, Brian and Tally, you know, last week, Sheldon, we talked about Brian Chris. Does Brian Chris get his chance, or is it you know a guy like Jeff Carpenter, um, you know, younger guy, worked with LSU has done some other stuff. Does he get his chance? 
I think the deeper we get into it, I don't think it's going to be – I don't think we're getting any internal hires. I think we are because of what Shelton just said. We have the money to spend. Go find someone who has a track record or has a good connection. And I'm sitting out here and and heard this thing so many times, but I feel like the guy would just fumble the ball and to the other team in Lane Stadium. His name's Brandon Streeter. Um, you know, Curtis got jokes. I got jokes. Go ninety nine. But I mean, Streeter was recently let go by Clemson, and he had been there since fifteen. He's been coaching, you know, since 06, where he was at Liberty and then Richmond. So obviously, he has been in Virginia before. I think he's probably a good coach. Now, obviously, he is working with cream of the crop quarterback prospects in Trevor Lawrence, in Deshaun Watson. So what's he going to do as far as the system goes? You know, it's not quite what they're doing, but I don't think he would be a bad hire. The question is, you know, Dabo just cut you from your alma mater, a place where you played, a place where you won – Two national championships. Is he ready to you know get it back in? That's a good question. That's a good yeah. question. I mean, I, I don't have an answer for it. I've heard his name thrown around a lot. Um from a recruiting, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, because that's kind of where I'm always thinking about with any hires that we're looking at, is I feel like we've been so behind in recruiting and just, you know, one or two athletes that would take us to maybe the next level. And I'm talking next level, just meaning even competing in the ACC, um, bringing in somebody with a pedigree like that, I think would be, would be awesome. So um, I don't know that we get him, but I would, I think it would be a good hire if we did. Yeah. And I think we're probably not going to see what I'd call splash hires in both of these positions. I think I think you'll see probably a splash hire in one where we where we go up to that, you know, seven to eight hundred thousand dollar range for for one coach. I don't know if we're gonna push, you know, the the limits of of what Witt will come off of like we would try to retain Rudolph to hire both of these positions. We'll we'll see. I just don't I don't necessarily think that's that's what's gonna happen. Um, but I mean, I'd be fine with Streeter. Um, you know, obviously the name that always gets thrown out there every time we do this oh, is, is, is Mike God. Vick. <laughs> I was just about to say, speaking of Splash Hire, you know Mike <laughs> Vick's name gets thrown out every time a, a job comes open. Damn Need an old line coach, Mike Vick. <laughs> uh, listen, I mean, it's floated every time. I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I no. think Mike, you know, a, a, all the work Mike's doing with charities, all the stuff he's got with TV, I don't think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, I think what we all are doing, like we all have been doing since last Tuesday as fans, is we've been drawing lines. We've been trying to find, okay, who's the guy? Streeter was thrown out there because Streeter's a known name. He was in the ACC. But then you start drawing the lines, okay, so who could it be? Who could it be? And, you know, the, the, after doing some research, I look at a guy like Billy Fessler. Billy Fessler's over at Akron, so he's under Joe Moorhead. There's immediately a connection to the type of offense that's going to be looked at this year. He played at Penn State. He's a significantly younger guy now, a very, very young guy. So, you know, is it somebody like that where you probably – if you're going to go – like you said, Brian, just a couple seconds ago, if you go big splash in the offensive line room, yep. then 
can you afford to take a chance with a younger guy? I mean, what I do you think? You know, if we're talking about, you know, younger guys, let's, let's talk about somebody that's, you know, pretty much my age has some connections with Bowen at Fordham um, and coached a, uh, in the NFL for the Jacksonville Jaguars this past year. Let's talk about Andrew Briner. I mean, I think that's a, another option that you could look at. You know, he was OC and quarterbacks coach at Fordham, um, then took over head coach um, the time that Bowen was, was, you know, coaching at Fordham there. So um, there's a connection there, similar type of, you know, Joe Moorhead coaching tree. I'm, yep. I'm getting the all Mississippi state staff is what we're about to put together. Here. <laughs> 18, 19. Yeah, so I mean that that's an option that's out there as well. So I mean I think there's a lot of you know potential options there. Um, you know one of the things that's been floated, kind of circling back to the offensive line room, is that you know I don't think it's you know some people talk about Bowen taking over offensive line. That's not what I want to see. Um, why? Why he's coached it, he's played it. Yeah, so. I don't like my OCs being offensive line coaches. I like my OCs that have been offensive linemen, but I don't like them being <laughs> offensive line coaches because it, it, I'll, 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 I'll say it like this. So when you day to day in practice, offensive line is very much for the first half of practice, a very segmented uh, group. They're not, floating to different position groups like you would with tight ends, especially um, you're not working with, you know, two or three position groups like you are um, quarterback or wide receiver. You, you know, you you are very much, okay, well you're here, you know, you might get with the tight ends and running backs for some inside run. Um, but most of the time you're working with your own group, you're getting with defensive tackles and doing some one-on-ones. So most of your work with the rest of the group is during that team period. So allowing Bowen to be in a position where he can kind of look at various elements of the offense for longer periods of time during a practice, not just during that team period, I think is more important. Offensive line is a very demanding position to coach. Mm -hmm. So I, I would like him to focus more on running the offense and seeing the whole picture of practice than I would focusing on getting that offensive line right. Sheldon, you've been really quiet while we've been, other than laughing at the Mike Vig joke. Is there is there anybody you have an eye on? Is there any of the names that we've mentioned that, that you say, hey, that might be the guy? If you're talking about QB coach? Yeah. Um, I think maybe the guy that was briefly mentioned in our in our Twitter chat the other day, Christian Taylor from uh, William & Mary. He worked okay. under, he, he was under Mike London, um, had a great, they had a fantastic offense this season, really big turnaround mm-hmm. at a school that's, you know, typically, you know, not super easy to win at. Um, so that's, that's one guy, but I haven't been paying too much attention as much to the QB coaches because like, I, I don't even know like what, you know, are they going to make like an internal hire or just, you know, switch someone around? Like, so I don't know as well about that, but Christian Taylor's one guy to, you know, keep an eye on. All right. I yeah. You look at, yeah. I think when you look at coaches, man, it's kind of a two ends of the spectrum type thing. You need somebody who's either, you know, very well respected and has a great resume and just knows how to come in and get a job done or you got to take a chance on a younger guy that will kind of come in and know how to recruit a little better who can you know connect with the kids a little better i mean look at fontel yep and i know we've got a a long way to go to think about what he's going to do with his room or be able to see what he's going to be able to do with his room but i don't think any tech fan 
is upset at what he's done so far. Uh, and you can even go back to Ryan Smith. Um, no. I mean, I didn't know much about Ryan Smith before he got the, the job, but looking at, at his efforts that he did while he was here, it was a, it was a, a good job. So um, it, it's, Tally. A, it's a catch-22 when you're talking coaching because you want somebody who you really – somebody to, oh, head, I'm sorry. Tally, I, I freaking went to college ahead, with Curtis. Ryan Smith's – I went to college with Ryan Smith's sister and never knew – the never correlated until she literally posted a picture of him up. Like, wait a second. That's Ryan. I messaged her and be like, why you got a picture of Ryan Smith? Oh, that's my brother. What? <laughs> and now that kid's going to the NFL. Well, that's pretty cool. It was cool. Yeah, I love the girl. Sweet girl. We all we worked together. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Priority life. It's pretty awesome. But like, yeah, like, nice, like it's man. so much going on right now. You know, because I think what's happened is it's so late in the process. And Price said it on TSN. We all heard it, right? <laughs> the pro ranks are looking more and more into the college ranks for coaches. They mm-hmm. are because what's happening is I think we're getting to that NFL level where there are guys who are getting in their late sixties that are retiring or guys that just essentially are cycling out. And now it's like, well, who is the most technical? Who's a great motivator who can really put game plans together. And they're going to the college ranks because the college ranks have so many more people. Also, and you're now, running a lot more college-style offenses are. in the yeah. NFL now. The, the concepts have changed like that over the last few years. So, hopefully, there will be some news about somebody getting hired over the next few weeks because I, I'm just sitting here. We're two weeks away from spring ball. Like, we need to get somebody hired now. I don't want a position group to be done. Yeah. All right. couple last notes before we close it out tonight. Um, and sort of sucks on both ends. Um Mike Hawkins, not on the roster anymore. Coach made a brief uh, statement with that with uh, our buddy David Cunningham over at TSL about, you know, there's some things going on, whatever is going on in Nike's personal life, we hope all gets to go well. And then, unfortunately, for Nike Johnson, um, you know, who is probably going to be dependent on to be a two-deep guy in the safety room, he tore his Achilles, and he's done. Yeah, during workouts. During workouts. Um, So, you know – Kind of a bit of bummer for both those, you know, both those situations to close it out here tonight. But you know, you got to talk about it because I, I can't remember the exact time. You know, last week we talked about Jalen Jones moving over, right? He's yep. now in the safety room, right? And you see, Knight Hawkins gone. Knight Johnson tears Achilles. I mentioned what? Maybe they'll redshirt him this year. Probably not going. If he's playing good, it's probably not going to be that way anymore. Very true, man. And you know how it is. It's like, you know, the kid, uh, like you said, Nike, he's, he was just coming off of an injury and trying to get back and trying to, you know, compete for some time and you get hurt again. It's just it's devastating sometimes, man, to the mindset. But I seen him put out a put out a um a tweet, I think, where he was talking about um, you know, just being there for his brothers and being around the team. So hope he just keeps his head in it and, and keep moving forward for himself. There you go. Yep. Yep. Right. That's big. I mean, anytime you get injury like that, it's definitely a mindset that you have to come back from. And, you know, especially when you're coming off an injury, like you said, Tally, um, you know, it, it can, it can eat at you. 
because you, you feel like, all right, I just, I just climbed my way out this hole a little bit. Now I'm kind of back in it. So yeah, um, nothing, nothing, but uh, you know, good wishes his way, hopefully speedy recovery. And I know Achilles is always, that's a, that's a tough one. So, you know, wishing him the best. All right, guys, anything additional to add anything breaking while we've been seared in here for an hour and 45 minutes. I just want to know when are we getting Robbie on the show? <laughs> I need Robbie on the show. Uh, well, we have been thinking about potentially bringing him over in April um, for spring ball preview, just because with Robbie being a coach, Robbie usually gives us a little insight. So, um, and I think Robbie is discussing coming to Blacksburg for the spring game. That is his birthday weekend. Oh, we're um, going to turn up then. There we go. Take it back to two. I'm bringing the hot sauce. Day. Oh, <laughs> oh, he's about to post something on here. John, you got anything <laughs> else, man? Nope. I'm all good, man. All right. Well, y'all, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Jonathan Talley. I'm Moss. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerBT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, do not forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on our YouTube account and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. And now, (laughs) hold on, wait a sec, real quick. Hey, Robbie, unfortunately, we got to talk in, and yep, he knows now. Shelton, we'll tell you after this episode ends. Yes, um, sir. Also, check out this weekend. Mr. Siegler got into the experimental. We are now selling merchandise. We Shared have merch, it. people. We have merchandise now. Thank you to the people who have already bought some. Um, and trust me, I think with this creative brain collection, we're going to come up with an even cooler shirt. So oh, yeah. be on the lookout for that. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long, he plays us in. He plays us out every week. Check him out on his website, jasonlongmusic.com. And I'm trying to see if Jason's going to be anywhere around the New River Valley. Finally hitting the spring weather, man. He's going to be out. He's going to be outside now. Is he, is he got some set up? No, I don't know. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. He's still recovering from wrestling season is what it is. Coaching those kids all that time to a, a city championship. Check his music out on Apple, Spotify, and his YouTube and Facebook pages. We thank you all for always listening and viewing. As as always, let's go. Hokies. Hokies.